But we're beginning this series in Hebrews, and we're going to be working through a chapter at a time. And I'm not going to go over all verses in the chapter. Um, we're going to pick out a section in each chapter, and that'll get us up until, up until Easter. And so if you want to follow along uh, as we go through that, this is a book called Exposition, and there is a series of books, but this one is specifically for Hebrews. Um, that's what I'm going to be using and uh, as we go along in that as well. So if you want to follow along, you can do that. Uh, I was thinking about this series, and um, when you look at Hebrews, the overarching theme of Hebrews is, as Christians, the Bible's teaching us to never give up. Never give up. And I begin to ask this question, is it, is it worth it? Is it worth it to follow Jesus? And I was thinking about like a New Year's resolution. Some of you may have gotten a gym membership. I always dislike going to the gym in January because there's all these people that I know are not going to be there in February. Um, but it's kind of like that. Like you get a gym membership, a New Year's resolution, you're maybe on elliptical, and you're all in it the first week, like three days a week, and then the next week it's like, well, I read a study that maybe one day a week's good. You know, you're down to one week. And you begin to question, like, is it... Is it really, really worth it? And that's what I ask the question here, and, and that's the question that I want to ask as we go through this whole entire book of, of Hebrews is, is it really worth it? And, and why is the book of Hebrews trying to encourage us to never, ever, ever give up? Week one, today, we're going to be looking at the will, the will of God. I think that's really going to help us to understand, is it worth it? Answering that question, week number one is understanding what God's will is. Like, what is he even asking us to do? Is it worth it? Is it never giving up? Like, well, I don't even know what that means. Does it mean trying to be a really good person the best that I can? I don't even know. And Jesus teaches us to pray. Our Father... Because of Christ and our relationship, we can call him Father. Our Father who art in heaven, God's in heaven. He's higher than we. We just sing that like he is higher than us. Hallowed be the name that he is holy. Right? If you look at Augustine or and you look at Luther and you look at um, uh, all these people who, who followed Augustine, it was like their biggest theme about God is like his holiness. It's all about the holiness of God. Holy is even his name. And then we say, his kingdom come. His will, his will be done. It's like, well, his will, what is that? What is that? And what does that play into my walk as a, as a Christian? So what I'd like to do is start this off. I usually don't like to ask a question until I've taught. Um, but I want to ask this question. You don't have to answer it right now, maybe at the end. But I want to read through Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. And what I want you to do is think about Try to pick up on, are you hearing anything about the will of God in this, these verses? So I'm going I'm to go ahead and read Hebrews 1. It's the word of the living God. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he 
upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Do you pick up on any will of God in that? Maybe, maybe not. But I pray at the end of this that you will know the overarching will of God for your life and for this world. I always got taught in military instructor. I was a military instructor for 10 years off and on. And, and the big thing they always taught you in developing training was you got to tell what the, the big picture is. Like, what are we working towards, right? There's all these little things we have to learn to be able to do this. But what is that big picture? Like communicating Here's what we're working on. Always communicate. Here's what the big picture is. This is what we're working towards and everything that we're doing. And I think it's important to understand what the big picture, the main point, the main objective of the Bible. I remember being at our former church and was just kind of growing in my faith and really beginning to dive into the Bible a lot. And, you know, this wasn't like anything like you know, seminary class or anything like that taught me. I was just reading and I happened to go come across the Great Commission. And Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, I was, I was thinking to myself, I, what is the last thing that Jesus said on earth? Like he rose from the dead, he came back, he's talking to his disciples and all these people. What's the last thing that he said before he went to heaven? It's got to be really important. And Jesus said, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I'll be with you till the end of the ages. I thought, oh, that's, that must be really important. But I'm like, ah, he was just talking to those apostles or the followers of Jesus back then. That doesn't apply to me. And all of a sudden, it dawned on me, like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe that's talking to me. And so I asked our associate pastor who was over discipleship, I said, was that just to the apostles? I'm hoping that it is. I'm like, please tell me it's just for the apostles. And he's like, no, no, that's for everyone. And once I knew that, I couldn't unsee it. I was like, oh, well, gosh, that just kind of changed everything. Because it's not just putting my faith in Jesus and going to church every once in a while. Like, now I know this truth in the Bible. And I'm like, all of a sudden I realize, like, I can't unsee that. And, and, and Jesus is asking me to do things, to sacrifice that's harder than what I thought. And it was just something that I wrestled with for a long time. And I think the world is that way, right? Like our culture is like, hey, go to church a couple times a year. Yes, I believe in Jesus. Try to be a good person. That's about it. But ask to follow Jesus, to follow him. I think that's asking a lot for a lot of people in this world. And I think that if we don't understand the bigger picture, we won't even understand what God is even asking us to do. What is his will? So I want to challenge you over the next 12 weeks to keep coming, continue to read each chapter ahead of time, to meditate on God's word, and to pray and ask the Lord this very question. Is it really worth it? So week one, the will of God. And this could have gone in lots of different directions. But 
What I wanted to read to you is in this book, um, usually I just read from the Bible, but I thought this was really important as we set up the foundation of our understanding of the Bible and Hebrews. And here's what this author said, and he's talking about Augustine said, where scripture speaks, God speaks. God speaks through his written word. We must speak from that word. We believe the Bible is God-breathed, authoritative, inerrant, sufficient, understandable, necessary, and timeless. We also affirm that the Bible is a Christ-centered book. That means all the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, points to Christ, the need for Christ, or his life in the Gospels, or, or how he's going to be coming back. And so everything is, is Christ-centered in the Bible, and that is it contains a unified story of redemptive history in which Jesus is the hero. Because of this Christ-centered trajectory that runs from Genesis 1 through Revelation 22, everything points to Jesus from beginning to end. We see God's mission as one, here it is, God's mission as one of making worshipers, worshipers of Christ from every tribe and tongue worked out through this redemptive drama in Scripture to that end, we must preach the word, the word of God. And you'd be amazed, like Amanda's in Ethiopia right now, like you go there and you see Christians and how God is at work all around the world, making his son known. And it's just amazing to see that. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, we just read that. And I want you to know that these letters, we don't know who the author is. They don't identify themselves. A lot of people believe that it's Paul. But these letters were not written to you. They were written to the Hebrew people, the church, the Hebrew church. But it was written for you. I'll repeat that again. It wasn't written, it wasn't written to you, but it was written for you. It was written to Christians who were formerly Jews. They had converted to Christianity, and now they are Christians, and they form this church. They're meeting together, and this letter is written to them specifically. So imagine being in this culture that, you, that, you're, raised, that you're raised up in and born in, and you, you know all about the Jews throughout the, the Old Testament and Jesus' time and how much they hated Jesus, and then to be converted into Christians and the trials and the struggles that they must have gone through in their culture, in their community, in their neighborhood. And this was written to them to say, hey, don't, don't give up. What we'll also see in the book of Hebrews is that it was written to Jews who grew up. Like they probably had the Torah memorized, the first five books of the Bible. They, they knew the Old Testament inside and out. So you're going to see a lot of references in Hebrews to the Old Testament. So we're going to have to kind of break down some of those people, some of those stories, some of those different things in the Old Testament. So we're going to have to sharpen our pencils on the Old Testament. But it wasn't written to you, but it was written for you, and for you is not to give up. In verse 1, we see this, it says, Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in the last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, as he was switching over to the New Testament, 
whom he appointed the heir of all things from whom he has, who also he created the world. That God has spoken to us. In the Old Testament, he spoke through the prophets. In the New Testament, he has spoken through his son, Jesus. That Jesus, we went through the book of John one time, says in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word is God. That's Jesus. That Jesus is the word. Like God's spoken word to us. If you ever wonder, like, does God speak to us? Well, yeah, just read the New Testament, what Jesus says. Read the Old Testament, what the prophets say. Like, God speaks to us through his word. That's the most trustworthy way that God speaks to us, is his word. Test all things in the light of scripture, the Bible says. Test all things in the light of scripture. But what I want you to see is that Jesus is the word. Like, Jesus came and he spoke, and he spoke truth in the Bible that is true, but he is also the word. He is, the person of Jesus is God's word, that God revealed himself to us through his son Jesus. You want to know God the Father? Learn about Jesus in the Bible. You want to know what God wants you to do? Read the Bible. It tells you. I don't know about you, but I love the state of Missouri. Maybe not February. That's a little iffy. March. The rest of it I love. I, I grew up. I've been all over the United States. There's some beautiful places in California. I will give them that. Other than that, I wouldn't recommend it. But there are some beautiful places in California. Along the coast, Highway 1, beautiful but to me, there, I've never been to Alaska. I, I don't know. I may change my mind once I, once I go visit Alaska. But for me, there are some places in Missouri. Like I can take you in some places in southern Missouri that are just beautiful. They're just amazing. And I just love the diversity of the state. And I thought that I knew everything there was to know about the state of Missouri. And I'd been everywhere and seen everything. But when I went to go see my brothers in the hospital in Lincoln, Nebraska, we went up through like Troy, um, went up, took some back road, and got on. It was a Highway 36 that goes across the state, like parallel 70, but up higher. I'd never seen that part of Missouri. I'm like, oh, this is really cool. I didn't know this was here. Never seen this before. And so, like, learning new things about the state of Missouri. And that's my prayer for you. If you've been a follower of Jesus for a while, you may have gone through multiple studies of Hebrews but I pray that you find some new things about God as we go through this book of Hebrews. So God speaks. He speaks to us. I had my notes that he speaks to us in Hebrew. I'm like, well, that's not right. Like, I'm like, oh, no wonder I couldn't understand God. He speaks to us in Hebrew. Hebrew is like, no, it's the book. He speaks to us in the book of, through the book of Hebrews. And it's interesting here that the book of Hebrews, when the author starts talking about Jesus, he doesn't talk about Bethlehem. You would think maybe that he did. We just went through Christmas. It's all about Bethlehem and the star and where Jesus was. But the author here doesn't start in Bethlehem. Where does the, where does the author start? Long ago, at many times, in many ways. It starts in the beginning of creation, that the Bible begins to talk about Jesus. 
the Holy Spirit inspired the author to place Christ within the context of, in, of God's entire redemptive plan from the very beginning. That God's plan to redeem you and me as sinners to him started from the very beginning. The, the story of God's redemptive plan is in his son Jesus and it started long ago. At many times and in many ways, God spoke to the fathers through the prophets. And the Old Testament is still good. All the Bible is still good for teaching and rebuking. But the Old Testament was in need of a conclusion. A messianic conclusion. Where Jesus comes onto the scene and Jesus says, I fulfilled the Old Testament. I'm going to give you a new covenant. And we're going to take of the new covenant of my blood, Jesus says. Remember this new covenant that I have for you. It's the grace, the mercy and grace of God through his son Jesus. And remember that, Jesus tells us to do that. As we gather to, to remember him. Remember his, his body as we, take the, as we take the bread. Remember the sacrifice that God made for us. Remember the blood, the new covenant that he had for us. If God had, had not revealed himself through his, the Bible and through his son Jesus, we would never know how to be right with the Lord. We, we would never know what Jesus came and did for us. And so thank God for the Bible. Thank God for the written word that we understand this revelation that God has revealed to us through the Bible. We would have had no, no knowledge of the cross or the resurrection of Jesus without the Bible. Here you see a word in here in, this, in these verses that talks about heir. That Jesus is the heir. And you might think, well, that's kind of odd. Like, why would the Bible say anything about heir? Well, remember, the Bible wasn't written to you. It was written to some Jews. And the Jewish culture would have known and understood what that word heir meant. This Hellenistic Judaism language. And, and what that means is that Jesus is the heir to his father. And he owns everything. He's been fully invested, right? Like some of you may hear that term, like your work or something like that. Like, hey, I'm fully, I'm fully vested. Like, there's nothing they can do to me to take away what's mine. Jesus was fully invested he was an heir like he owns it all it also means that if you do business with the son you're doing business with the father you sign an agreement with the son it's good with the father it's the heir it's the the eldest son so they knew what this meant this he was appointed the heir of all things all things In verse 3, it says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purifications for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it beautiful? It's like poetry. It's like, how would I explain, explain Jesus to someone? And here... Inspired by the Holy Spirit. Like, I, I hope this means something to you. 
when you hear it. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the, pow- by the word of His power. Just by His word alone, He upholds the universe. After making purifications for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Beautiful. Jesus. This radiance, this Shekinah glory that's mentioned in the Old Testament. This visible glory and majesty of God. This Bible says there's no need for the sun in heaven. Like the, the glory, the radiance, the Shekinah glory of God, of Jesus, just lights up the whole place. He is the light in the darkness. And in verse 4, we see, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This time between the Old Testament and when Jesus comes on the scene was a long period of time. And there's a lot of discussion about how important the angels were. A lot of that debate, theological debate going on. And this author is making it clear that Jesus' name is above the angels. There's no doubt about that. God in the Old Testament spoke through the prophets, and now he speaks through his son Jesus. And you say, well, what is he saying? What is God saying when he speaks through his son Jesus? And I think what he's saying is my son's kind of a big deal. It's kind of a big deal. If you look at the first sentences of all of Paul's letter. I'll just flip through here real quick. Just listen. I don't have it on the screen, but listen. Philemon, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Titus, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Second Timothy, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. First Timothy, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. 2 Thessalonians, Paul, to the church of Thessalonians, God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, it's all about Jesus. I hope you see that theme over and over and over in the Bible, that that Jesus is a big deal. That his Father in heaven wants him to be a big deal. That the Bible is not about social justice. It's not about wealth. It's not about health. It's not about politics. It's about Jesus. It's about God's Son, Jesus. The will of God is that God does what He wants to do. Anyone ever experienced that before? (laughs) You have these plans in your life. I know I have just recently, right? Like, I've got all these plans. This is how it's all going to work out. This is the way the rest of my life's going to work. And then something happens. Not saying God caused it. But it's amazing what little control we have in this world. That God is sovereign. That His will is not always our will. And when we come to understand that and embrace that, that's last Sunday was about prayer. A lot of times our prayer is just to get us in line with God's will. 
so that we can be in agreement with what he's going to be doing anyway. Anyone else struggle with that? I don't know. Just me? I guess just, oh, no. We got one honest person over here. <laughs> also, the will of God is that, remember I was telling you about the Great Commission, go and make disciples. It says, teach them to obey all that I've commanded. The will of God is what he does in this world. And he wants us to be in alignment with that. It's also the will of God that you would do what Jesus tells you to do. Because it brings his kingdom to earth. It helps. God can use you. And so following God's commandments, all of these things bring glory to God. Worship. Like our daily lives are to be, and I'm not talking about like coming to church and singing, like that is worship. But our daily lives should be to worship God and honor Him and glorify Him and set our minds on Him. To worship Him because He is worthy. Romans 12, 1 through 2. I'm going to read this real quick. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. It says, I appeal to you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Here it is, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing, testing, you may discern what is the, there that word is, right? The will of God. So that's important. To understand what the will of God is, you, have to, you need to do some testing to determine what the will of God is. What is good and acceptable and what is perfect. I wrote this down. It says, the aim of all human life in God's eyes is that Christ would be made to look as valuable as he is. Worship means using our minds and hearts and bodies to express the worth of God and all he is for us in Jesus. And there is a way to live a life that does that. You say, well, if I polled every one of you, you'd probably all have different ideas on what that means to live a life worthy of honoring Christ. But the Bible here, it tells us how to do that. It says to be transformed, but, but to be transformed, you need to test to see what the will of God is and do that. You need to test it. You need to prove what the will of God is. Because a lot of us, our human nature is, is I'm going to go out, I'm just going to do a whole bunch of things and try to be as good a person as I can be. I think that's God's will for my life, to just be a good person. And I'm going to go serve here at this, at, at this, at this homeless shelter. I'm going, to, I'm going to go do this. Or, and that's what makes me right with God. That's the will of God in my life. I'm just going to do a whole bunch of things. Or you might say, hey, I've got all these emotions that I'm feeling, and I feel this way, or I feel that way, and I'm just going to follow the wind wherever it takes me with my emotions. And the Bible says, don't do any of those things. Before you do anything, test it. Test whatever you're going to do according to God's Word. His Word and His fellowship. 
He just wants to spend time with you. He loves you. He just wants to spend time with you. That's his, what he wants. He wants you to love him back. So his word, understanding what he wants you to do through his word and fellowship with us, that's what transforms us. That's what transforms us. One of the most powerful prayers in the Bible was the tax collector who went up and he says, have mercy on me, Lord. I'm a sinner. That was it. Most powerful prayer I've seen in the Bible. Remember I said last week about prayer. It's not about the, not about the length. It's about the weight. There's power in that. It's where God wants us. That's where he can use us in our weakness and just knowing we need a relationship with the Lord and we can't do that without, throughout Jesus. Even with everything we know about Jesus, people still want a God who saves them, but not a God who changes them. People still want a God who saves them, but not a God who changes them. You say, well, I don't want to be a Christian. I have to change. I have to become someone. I have to become like this pious person that walks around with my nose up in the air, judging everyone else. That is quite the opposite of what it means to follow Jesus. But what if following Jesus, if you were here last week to talk about how God is the vine, we are the branch, if we stay connected to God through his word, that he will change us. He does that, right? automatically just through us, makes us more like Jesus. And, and what, if, what if that transformation that takes place, like we'll, we'll never be sinless. We can sin less and less, but we'll never be sinless. But what if that process of, of knowing God more, what if it transforms you and God uses you to where more people would come to Christ or, or your family, your friends, co-workers would see something in you a little bit differently. Then I asked that question, well, is it worth it then? Is it worth it to keep going and to keep knowing God on a deeper level? I think that's something you'll have to decide. To make your life about Christ, to follow God's will, His plans and not your plans, His commandments and not your commandments. That's a life of following Christ. That gives glory to God and our worship and everything that we do. So I asked this question if I was to go and pick up a rock out of the ditch out here and bring it in and try to auction it off. How much much do you think I could get out of that rock? Maybe a dollar. Somebody might bring a dollar. I don't know. But if I, man, I got my car and I got like the world's largest diamond, you know, and brought it in here and put it down, did an auction, I would get a lot more money because the value is so much higher. And isn't that really our, when we ask that question, is it worth it? 
It really comes down to how much we value Jesus. How much value we put into something controls our actions and the things that we do. It's all about that worth. And if you read Hebrews 1 and you do not see the value in Jesus, then the answer to the question is going to be, no, it is not worth it. At some point, you will give up. You'll be trying to do all these works-based things to be right with God or, or not have an understanding of what it means and it won't be worth it and you'll just give up. If Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 4 is describing Jesus, the most valuable thing, if it's not valuable to you, then I would encourage you to pray to the Lord, like, Lord, why is that not valuable to me? Help me to understand. Help me to open my eyes, open my heart to who Jesus is. So I ask the question, is it worth it? And I believe that's where faith comes into play. Like when I read Matthew 28 about the Great Commission, I had to make a choice. Do I really believe the Bible to be true? Is it really trustworthy? Is this really written for me? Is God really speaking to me? I had to make that decision. And it takes faith. So do you want to know the truth or would you just rather go off of emotion and a works-based religion, staying conformed to this world, maybe do a little good works here and like, I hope that God thinks I'm okay. We live in the show me state. I would encourage you to go and take a look for yourself. Keep knocking, keep looking Keep seeking. Because Jesus, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Nobody comes to me. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. If you believe that to be true, that God would send his only son to earth, to live a life that we couldn't live. To sacrifice himself. The perfect sacrifice for my sins. To die on the cross, to be buried, to be risen again three days later. Now sits at the right hand of God as we just read. And the Bible makes it so simple. It says all you have to do is put your faith and trust in what Jesus did. And that you will be saved. To, to be like that tax collector. Say Lord have mercy on me. I'm just a sinner. I want Jesus in my life. I want to follow him closer. Lord help me. I cannot do that on my own. You can do that today. And begin a life of discovering. Whether it's worth it or not. And I can tell you, as someone who put their faith and trust in Jesus when I was 16, I can tell you it is, it's worth it. It's not easy, but it sure is worth it. It's the only hope that I have, the only hope that I've found in this world. And God will transform you into something much, much better. Let's pray. Dear Father, Lord, thank you for uh, today. 
Thank you for your word. Thank you for your reminder about how beautiful Jesus is. That how you want us to set our minds upon your son and the work that he did for us and not to be played on emotions and not to be played on, hey, we have to do something to be made right with you because there's nothing that we can do to be made right with you other than our faith in your son, Jesus. And all you do is ask us to say, hey, stay connected to me I will do the work. Jesus did the work on here to forgive us of our sin. He said, just stay connected to me. I will do the work to transform you, to know me more, to make Jesus more valuable than anything in our lives. Lord, help us to understand your will, that you are holy, that you are more holy than anything. And help us to get in line with your will and what you're doing in our lives and in this world. And we would trust you. And Lord, help us to know your son Jesus more and to follow his commandments. Because not for anything, any self-recognition or any rewards or anything like that. Other than just we want to bring you more glory. Because you deserve it. Because you are holy. That all that we do, that we thrive for, should be to bring you more glory. To worship you. Lord, we are sinners. We are transformed by this world. We are fleshly. Our flesh wants to do other things. There's a struggle going on between the world and our souls between this world and heaven. So Lord, help us. We are weak and we need help. Also, Lord, I lift up um, uh, Sylvie and her, her baby, Sylvester, who needs heart surgery in a couple of months. I, I lift them up to you. I pray, Lord, that the church would be there for them and help them in any way that, that we can. Also for Dave and Marcia, who are still home. Dave's still not feeling well, and Marcia's recovering from hip surgery, and um, Deanna from back surgery, and, and many people, Lord, that are out today not feeling well, uh, a lot of sickness going around. I pray you would be with them and heal their bodies, and uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen, amen. All right, so now is the time on, on the first Sunday of every month, we take up the Lord's Supper and this is just a time that um, you can just reflect. And, and, and what I would encourage you to do during the Lord's Supper and also during the last song of worship is just to let the Word of God and whatever God's spoken into you just kind of settle into your heart. And to, to reflect on the Lord and just say, Lord, what, what, what are you teaching me today through your Word? And, and as we go to the Lord, uh, this verse in 1 Corinthians 11, it, it tells us to seek after the Lord and to ask Him, is there anything in my life um, that you want me to bring to you, to ask for forgiveness? And our Heavenly Father, He loves us, right? He, he, he brings these things to our mind uh, because He wants what's best for us. He wants us to be transformed, right?
And so if there's anything that God brings to your heart, just give that to him. Maybe some unforgiveness or something like that. Bring that to him. And, and this is also a time of just reflecting. Like Jesus said, hey, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of the sacrifice that I made for you. And do this in remembrance of me, of this new covenant in my blood. The new covenant, the new testament that is by grace, the grace of God alone, through faith in Jesus alone. And God wants us to remind us of that all the time. Like, I need to be reminded of that. It's not based on me and my performance. It's based on what Jesus did. That's the beauty of, of the gospel.